Last week, uh, we started a sermon series uh, entitled Discipled by Jesus. And if you weren't with us, I'll give you, give you a quick overview and why we're doing this. What we're doing is we're looking at some of the Gospels where Jesus uh, would just be spending time with disciples, when he was actually actively discipling them, uh, when he was trying to teach them lessons about what was important, uh, lessons about God, about salvation, about forgiveness, how to treat people, about who he was, and so on and so forth. And so we began uh, with uh, Jesus' call to the disciples, to James and John and Peter and Andrew, when they were fishermen. They were fishing at the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus uh, came to them, and um, after they they got a miraculous catch of fish, Jesus said, uh, drop your nets, leave your jobs as fishermen, and come and follow me. And, and, And they did. And then Jesus gives them a new purpose in life. He says, from now on, I'm going to make you fishers of men, of women, of children. In other words, your purpose, your goal uh, from now on is to go out and to tell others about me and and to invite them to join me as you follow me together. And, And that's as we look at the Gospels, those four men and other disciples did that. They went out and shared the news to Jesus Christ. And many did, in fact, follow Jesus. I mean, you look at Jesus' uh, three-year ministry when he was on earth. Typically, he was very popular with the average person. Huge crowds would gather whenever he would speak. Uh, They wanted to see what the fuss was all about, perhaps. They wanted to be healed. Uh, They were hoping maybe he'd do that bread and fishes thing again and get a free meal. Uh, There's a variety of reasons they wanted to be there. Maybe they just wanted to be able to tell others, their kids or grandkids someday, that that they, in fact, had, had seen Jesus and been touched by him or shook his hand or he looked at me or something like that. So Jesus would typically attract huge crowds. But every once in a while, Jesus would say something or do something, and the crowds would dissipate. And this is one of those times here in in Luke 14. Because Jesus issues a challenge to everybody who would like to follow him. And to us, too. And he sets forth the cost of discipleship. He says, this is what it means to follow me. This is what's going to cost you to follow me. So let's take a look. Luke 14, verses 25 through 35, which was uh, just read. And in this passage, Jesus uses five images, five vivid images, and ties them to lessons about what it means to follow him. First, Jesus says we are to love him supremely. And he ties this together with this image of, of a family. Now, when I first re- read this as a, as a young person, and I still read it, and, and it, it just, boy, it kind of takes you back, where Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. What does he mean by that? You know, doesn't he himself say we are to love everybody? Uh, even our, our our enemies. So how can he say that unless we hate our mother, our brother, our sister, our, our, our wife, our husband, we cannot be a disciple? What's he mean by that? Well, it's helpful to understand a couple of things. First, the Greek word for hate here, it means something totally different than the English word for hate. In the Greek, the word hate means that you are to love something less or esteem something less. So it's a matter of priority. Jesus is saying that we are to love him more than anything and anyone else, including our family. 
Another thing to think about is Jesus will often use metaphors or similes or parables. Here he uses hyperbole. Hyperbole, of course, is an intentional exaggeration to emphasize a point. So, for example, maybe your wife says, I've told you a million times to put the toilet seat back down after you use it. She doesn't literally mean a million times, right? It hasn't happened a million times, but she's trying to over-exaggerate to emphasize a point. So Jesus is saying to be a disciple of mine, you must, you must think about what it's going to cost you. You must love me more than anyone or anything else, even your loved ones. And our love for Jesus should be so powerful that, that others will never mistake who is number one in our lives. And sometimes when we do that, it will alienate others because they don't understand why we have certain values or why we make certain choices or why, why we avoid certain things and why, why this Jesus is so important to us. Jesus warned us of this in Matthew 10, where he said, All people will hate you because of me. He's talking to the disciples. But he who stands or she who stands firm to the end will be saved. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So when Jesus calls us, when he challenges us, we will have to make difficult decisions. And sometimes people we know and love are not going to jump up and down and celebrate those decisions and those choices because they may not share those values. So Jesus challenges us, love me supremely. That's the first the first challenge, the first portrait of a, of a disciple. The second challenge Jesus lays out in front of us is we are to live like a dead person, not like a zombie, not like the walking dead. He says, live like a dead person. In other words, die to yourself. Die to your own agenda, to, your, to anything that is contrary to my will for you. And the, the, um, he uses this idea, this picture of a cross. A real disciple, Jesus says, is somebody who picks up their cross and follows me and who dies to self. Now, in Jesus' time, we know the cross was a horrible, torturous mode of execution. Um, it was sort of the electric chair or lethal injection of, of the day. And so in Jesus' time, when you saw somebody literally carrying a cross, you knew they were not long for this world. It meant only one thing. They were as good as dead. And so when Romans would lead a criminal to their execution site, that person would be forced to carry the cross on which they would die because it showed their submission to Rome. And it would be a warning to others that they would better, they better, they better submit to Rome also. And Jesus, Jesus used this, this, this idea, this analogy. One is because he's going to go to the cross literally and carry his own cross, but also because he's trying to get the crowd to think about their reasons for following him their enthusiasm for following him. And he encourages them, he challenges them. This is what it means to follow me. So go deeper or turn back. Following Christ means total submission to him. Paul himself understood what it meant to carry a cross. Here's what he says in Galatians 6 about this idea of dying to ourselves. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. 
And so that means that there is nothing this world has to offer that should interest us more than Christ. That in a sense we should be dead to the world. Not the people of the world, but the systems and the, and the, and the values and the worldviews that are contrary to God's, to God's kingdom. That's the second portrait of a disciple. We will not be truly liberated until we understand what it means to be crucified with Christ. The third challenge Jesus offers us here is we are to, to count the cost, to consider the value of a, of a good finish. And he uses this image of a tower. And so he talks about this man who's going to build a tower, this contractor. And he basically says a good contractor is going to count the cost. They're going to estimate how much it's going to cost, what needs to happen, what materials they need, how long it's going to take. If they don't count the cost properly, the building will be left uncompleted. We saw a prime example of this when we lived in Canada. We lived in a city called Prince Albert, and there was this big river that went through Prince Albert. Uh, The bridge across it was probably uh, 500 yards across, so it's a big, big river. And um, the city uh, leaders back in the late 60s got this great idea of, well, we're going to, we're going to harness the power of this river. We're going to build a dam upstream from the river, up, up river from town, and we'll use it to, to generate hydroelectric power, and we can, we can sell it cheap, and we can, we can make some money, and, and so on and so forth. It seemed like a good idea. The problem is they grossly estimated how much it would cost and how complicated it would be. And to this day, if you drive up the river... There is this uh, concrete dam that extends about a third of the way across the river. In fact, it bankrupted the city. Jesus says, count the cost of following me. And what are those costs? Well, we may face loss of social status. We, we have to give up control of, of our time and our money and our career. It may cause problems in in some of our relationships. Following Christ is not meant to be a trouble-free life. So Jesus says, count the cost of becoming one of my disciples so you can finish well. Jesus said of the man in in the analogy here, he was not able to finish. When those words haunt me, I don't want to be a spiritual dropout. I don't want to be a spiritual underachiever. I want to finish well. You know, the pages of the Bible are littered with great men and women who did not finish well. For example, Noah builds an ark, saves his family, but towards the end of his life, it says he was drunken and exposed before his family. Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, according to the Bible, towards the end of his life, it says his many wives turned his heart away from God. Jesus says we are to count the cost so we can finish well. We can finish the race that we have started. Like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 where it says he, he, he disciplines his body. He keeps his eyes focused on, on the prize so he will finish well the race that he has started. The fourth challenge Jesus offers to us about discipleship is, is, this, is, is this idea of surrendering to the, to the stronger king. And he uses the, the image of a war. So Jesus says there are two kings. And one king is vastly outnumbered. And so this king is wise, and he goes to the, the king with a bigger army, and he, he makes peace with him before the hostilities break out. And, and, and Jesus is implying that you and I are one of the kings, And God is the other. So guess which one we are. 
The idea here is we cannot be a disciple of Jesus unless we are willing to acknowledge his power and his might and his justice and his purity and to give up control of our life to him, which is hard to do because none of us wants to give up control. I once read about a lifeguard on a beach and there was a guy drowning out in the surf. And the lifeguard began to walk out, but then he stopped. And there was a crowd on the beach and they began yelling at the lifeguard to go on further, to go out further and to rescue the guy. But the lifeguard only went a few more steps and stopped again. And they kept yelling at him. And, and finally, just when it looked like the guy was going to go down for the last time and die, the lifeguard swam out with strong strokes, grabbed him and brought him back to shore. And after some spitting and coughing, the man was conscious. But rather than hailing the lifeguard as a hero, the crowd started yelling at him and asking him, why didn't you go out earlier? You're a coward. You saw his drowning. Why didn't you go out sooner? You almost lost him. And the lifeguard explained, you can see he's much bigger and stronger than I am. And he was thrashing around and kicking. He would have drowned us both probably. As long as he's trying to save himself, I could not save him. But when he got tired and he gave up and he surrendered, then I knew I could save him. That's a great lesson for us. As long as we think we're strong enough and competent enough to save ourselves, to fix our lives, to fix our situations, we're not going to surrender to Christ. It's only when we give up and realize that we need his help and need his strength and when we surrender to him that Jesus will come and rescue us. Have you come to a place in your life where you have surrendered everything that you are and everything you have to Jesus Christ? Jesus is calling us to do so as his disciple. Finally, the the last and fifth uh, challenge Christ gives us is we are to stay pure to preserve goodness. Let me explain. And the image is, is salt. Now, salt was very valuable during Jesus' time. Roman soldiers were paid with rations of salt, the reason being because there was no refrigeration. So they would take the salt and they would, they would put it on their meat so they could preserve it longer and they could use it. And Jesus talks about us being used in the same way in our world and society. That's why he said on the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You know, we look around our world sometimes like, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket because we think that things are moving away from God's values and, 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 and priorities. And, and yes, that's happening. But we have to look at ourselves as well and say that maybe part of the reason that's happening is because we as Christians have lost our saltiness at times, our, 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 our distinctiveness in, this, in the world. And we've just kind of blended in and, and compromised and when we, when we allow uh, certain behaviors and attitudes to become a part of who we are, we can lose our saltiness. And when we embrace certain values and priorities of the world and, and pursue those things at the expense of our, of our own growth in Christ, we can lose our saltiness. And when we neglect Jesus' call to, to, to love mercy and, and to do justice and instead look at our own comfort and, and, and forward progress as individuals, we can lose our saltiness. Jesus calls us to be different and distinct, to point others to Jesus Christ, and, and to preserve goodness wherever we find it. So Jesus challenges us is, you want to be a follower? You want to follow me? 
okay, here's, here's some things to consider. Do you love me more than you love anything else and anyone else? Will you give up your life and set aside your own agenda and carry your cross and follow me? Count the cost, Jesus says. Finish well. Surrender everything you have and are to me and live different and distinct lives to point others to me. Jesus is looking for people who would do so. And so I end my sermon with Jesus' own words at the end of his. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word and your son, Jesus. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that he calls us to follow him. And God, we confess that so often we fall short. We're not always fully committed. Sometimes we can compromise. Sometimes we put other things above, (laughs) above you, Lord. And we confess that. We ask for your forgiveness. But we also ask for your help, Father, through your Spirit that we might um, give more and more of ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. And that in doing so, we would try find true and lasting peace and purpose and joy and love and acceptance through you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.